Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So here we are now in week three of our series on prayer. Uh, This is so deep in my heart, and I'm going to remind you in this moment now of, uh, of Tuesday evening prayer at 6.30 this coming Tuesday. This past week, we started our weekly prayer service and, and prayer meeting, and, and it was wonderful. It was an incredible time. Uh, we had a lot of faces show up and come and pray. Let me encourage you to continue to come. And if you didn't make it last week, I understand there were storms that were crazy. Uh, it was like the apocalypse started early or something. It was, you know, uh, it was just insane what happened. And, and it caused a lot of people to not be able to make it. And I had conversations with others. Let me challenge you, be here this Tuesday. Be here this Tuesday. This is something that, that I believe heavily in and I believe strongly in is the power of prayer. And, and, and as a church, we, will be a, we need to be a church of prayer and we're going to pursue the face of God, amen? And, and out of that, there's gonna be an outpouring. There's just so many things that come out of prayer. And so uh, Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., that is not a.m., 6.30 p.m., we'll have prayer right here in the auditorium uh, and, and we'll spend time together praying. So let me encourage you to do that as we continue through our series of prayer. Uh, so I, I believe heavily in prayer. So this is Father's Day, and I've been a father for almost 10 years, which is really crazy to think when you go, oh my word, I almost have a child who is in double digits. This is just a weird thing to me. In September, our oldest will turn 10. And over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of uh, great moments and a lot of difficult moments, hard moments, and, and, and just incredible moments where you celebrate and you just, you're overjoyed with your children. I've learned a lot of, of, of things over the 10 years and, and I've experienced hard moments. I, I don't want to say, you know, there's, I love being a father. There's a lot to love about it. And then there's those moments that you don't necessarily love, but you know, are necessary in fathering and in parenting and they're hard moments, right? And you learn through those things. And I have found that the best way for me to learn is to to lean on the example of, of my father. Now, I'm, I know that I'm not the norm for all people and that I grew up with a wonderful father. I understand that. I'm aware of that. And I, I recognize the blessing that I have in my father. And, but I have the, the, the privilege of being able to lean on my father in, from time to time in difficult moments. And dad, what do I do here? Uh, give me wisdom in this moment. Now, you know, and this kind of thing. And so there have been, so like the top three things that I've learned from my father. Are you ready for this? One, nobody likes to play golf with somebody who throws their golf club 100 yards after every bad shot. My father told me so when I was about 14 and I would throw my club about 100 yards after every bad shot. And then he also reminded me of who purchased the golf clubs in the first place and that if I wanted to continue to play, I better get it under control. I'm a different person now. I only throw it about 25 yards at this point. That's not true. I don't throw my clubs anymore. I'm not. That didn't happen. So I learned that from my dad. And I remember that moment, like, so specific, it like burned in my mind. My dad goes, you're just no fun to play with. And I was like, oh, well, that cuts right to the heart. But I learned and it needed to be said. And it was that teaching moment from a father, right? Uh, then the second thing that I would say that I've, I've learned from my dad is this, is that uh, you need to put tools back where and how you found them where and how you found them. Now, as a child, 
so my dad at, at one point in time was a framer and uh, he was a carpenter. And so he has a ton of tools. Even to this day, he has a ton of tools. And, and you know, I go, dad, you, you can now afford your own furniture. You don't have to build it any longer, right? And he goes, oh, but I can make it better. And that's right, you know, because he's a real man and, uh, and nobody makes it the way they should any longer. So my dad makes his own, like, I'm not kidding. He's got this huge table that he built out on their back patio. And then like, he was like, you know what? We need a matching outdoor coffee table to match this thing. So he built that. I was like, this is crazy. When do you have time? But so what I learned at a young age to put the tools back where and how I found them. And I learned that the hard way as well. So I decided that we had these, these stack of old fence slats that we were going to use at some point as, or not old, but they were new. And so if, if fence slats went bad, we were going to replace them all the time. So I decided I was going to build something out of these fence slats. And, and my dad gave me the go ahead to play with the wood and to use it, right? But um, I was needing one board to be shorter. And I didn't have permission to use the saw, but I had permission to use a hammer. So the hammer became the saw, right? And you just beat it enough in the one spot. You can punch a hole through these things. And I would do that over and over and over and over. And then I found, oh, if I use the backside of this thing, it's like this claw thing. And so I would just knock it through. And I was doing all this stuff. And I wore his tools out. And then I built my little thing. And where did I leave the tools? But in the side yard, not put back in the garage. And I found out very quickly at that early age to put tools back where and how I found them. Something that now I'm having to teach my children because they go into the storage area and I go, where did all these tools go? And then I'm finding them everywhere. So it's one of those of you go, man, okay, so I got to put things back where and how I found them. And then the third thing that I learned was this, that if you're going to be a successful dad, you have to be a man of prayer. You have to be a man of prayer. I remember from the earliest age of, of high school and junior high stuff so coming out of my bedroom and knowing exactly where I would find my father. He was going to be sitting in his recliner, which he still has to this day. And my mom made him put it in the basement because they live in Springfield, so there's a basement. She's like, that can go all the way down to the basement. But he will always, you'll find him in the mornings in his recliner, and there he's going to be reading his Bible, and he's going to be spending time studying the Word of God. And from there, I know that he's going to go into prayer. Depending on the time of year, it determines where you will find him. If it's the summertime, he's going to be on his back porch. Uh, if it's in the wintertime, he will be inside because it's quite cold where they live now. And so he doesn't go out when it's eight degrees outside and pray. So he stays inside. But I know that my father will be praying. And the neat thing for me is this, knowing that we're in the same time zone, that I know when I get up at certain times, I, I know for a fact my father is praying. And not only is he praying, I know that I'm included in those prayers. And that's an incredible thought to think, my father is taking time every day to pray. If I'm going to be a successful father, I have to be a man of prayer. I think Ian Bounds said it best when he said that the world needs men who know how to pray. And really, he said the, world, the church needs men who know how to pray. But, but I think it applies beyond the church that the world needs men who know how to pray. The world needs men who know how to pray. It's crucial. Being a man of prayer is crucial. And, and that's not just for fathers, that's for husbands, and that's for all men, that, that we need to lead in prayer. I think if you look at statistics in the church and in the church world, you will find that, that women kick our tails when it comes to church attendance and prayer. It's the reality of it. And that's not to diminish the, any, any kind of gender roles in this, in, in no way, shape, or form. What I'm saying is, men, we need to rise 
to the level of where the women are right now. And we need to say, we will be committed to prayer. We need to be committed to, to abiding in prayer. Because our, our women are, are, are leading the charge. They're pushing, pushing it forward over and over and over. If, if it wasn't for the power of praying women, I don't know that the church would be around today because men have often neglected attending and praying. And we find that the power of the father in the home, and we're not gonna go through statistics today and break all of that down because I think we all understand the importance of the role of the father in the home and in, in the need for, the, for, the, for the, the man to step up and be the man. And we're not gonna go through that today, but understanding the power of a praying father. Today, I wanna look in Genesis uh, chapter 32. Uh, and we're gonna read verse 22 through 30. We're going to read verse 22 through 30. And this is a, this is a story of, of Jacob, and he's with his family, and, and uh, they're kind of moving forward, right? And so we'll pick up here as Jacob is about to cross with his family uh, a part of the Jordan River in an area of what is called the, the Jabbok. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So he gets his family over there, and then he says, okay, now take everything else. Take all of the stuff over. He's there making sure it gets done, right? He's, he's staying back, making sure everything's... So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Let's pray. Father, I pray today, God, that you will anoint my lips, anoint my words as we, as we speak your word this morning. So God, I pray that you allow this to be a moment in time when you have the freedom to speak to our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What an incredible moment. Where, where Jacob has sent everybody over, all of his things over, he's left alone, and then he wrestles with God. It's a powerful moment, really. When you think of it, you go, okay, this is huge. This is no just no small thing. This is an encounter with God. And he says, I, and then he even names the place uh, because he saw God face to face and his life was spared, right? As we read through scripture and we find that, that there, it is said that we cannot see God face to face in this capacity. Otherwise, we, his glory would overwhelm us and we would die, right? And so, so Jacob's going, I was spared. God spared me because I'm there face to face wrestling with him and, and I'm spared. This is an incredible, incredible moment. And there's a a few things that I want to walk through together today as we learn from the life of Jacob or the moment that Jacob had here with God. And the first thing is this, sometimes we must wrestle with God. 
Sometimes we must wrestle with God. Now, I don't mean like uh, necessarily inner struggle of, oh God, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I'm not talking about obedience when God commands us to do something and, and we wrestle with God and we go, no God, I can't do that. This isn't, what, this isn't right for me. No, no, no. I, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm all for immediate obedience as it pertains to God speaking and leading. But I'm talking about those moments where we go before the Lord and, and we say, I'm not letting go until. And we find those moments I've never been good at wrestling. As, as, a, as a guy, you know, it, it's, you go to church camp, FYI, uh, a lot of times the mattresses end up on the floor and it becomes like this huge wrestle arena kind of thing. And, you know, and then it's like, okay, you and you, go, right? And it's become almost UFC. It's like, don't throw punches. We're just wrestling, right? I remember one time I was actually uh, one of the, the leaders, way to go leader, right? And uh, I was in college and uh, a friend of mine, his name was Kendall, he and I were, were, were leaders in the same cabin and we were like, dude, let's wrestle. I'm like, yeah, let's do this because we're about the same size. And, and neither one of us, I was like, I'm not any good at wrestling. He's like, me either. This works out really, really well, right? Because they won't know the difference. If we're both really bad, they'll just think, man, these guys are really well matched, right? This is good, right? And so I'm wrestling my friend Kendall and we're going, hey, you know, obviously there's no like, emotion or anger or anything like that. We're borderline trying not to laugh while we wrestle. It's one of these deals. Well, I finally get Kendall in like this chokehold, right? And I'm close to getting him to tap. I mean, he is, I mean, close. And I know he's fading, but he won't tap. And in this, my arms are getting tired. And I'm thinking, this guy better tap or I'm going to just fade out. And then all of a sudden I'm going to lose because I have nothing left to give. It's all going to be gone. And I am, I am holding on for dear life at this moment, right? And I am doing everything I can to get my friend Kendall to tap out and he will not tap. And I'm thinking, why are you so determined right now? This doesn't matter for anything. Just lose. And he won't. And finally, my arms are like trying not to cramp up at this point. And I'm like, I've got nothing left to give. I have reached the end of my ability in this moment. And I finally, my arms just can't hang on anymore. And he breaks out of it. And next thing I know, because I'm exhausted, I'm wiped. He's got me in some funny position that neither one of us really know what to call it. And at the end of it, I have to tap because I'm going, dude, I can't. I'm done. This is it. You win. It was this terrible moment, right? Where I was like, I was so close and I've got all these like junior high kids looking up to me like, come on, Ryan, just beat them for me, right? They didn't really say that. I felt the pressure of their eyes that, you know, through my, you know, I'm just like, please, just one time for the kids, right? Couldn't do it. Couldn't hang on. And I was going, man, I, I want to win. Like, I want this so bad. And I couldn't make it happen. And, and I think what we find is that, that, that with Jacob, he's saying, you know what? I am willing to wrestle till the end of it all. I will hang on as long as I absolutely have to. And I think that's in, in our spiritual walk and our walk with the Lord, we have to be willing to say, I'm not letting go yet. I'm not letting go yet. I think we find something in, in, interesting in this is when, when God basically says to Jacob, he says, uh, he says, what is your name? So what is your name? Now, obviously, God knows his name. God knows good and well who he is. God knows exactly what he's about to do through him. He knows what's about to take place. He says, what is your name? He said, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Here's what I'm finding in this. This is a credible thing. See, when we look at the life of Jacob up until this moment, Jacob has been a manipulating deceiver. 
The first blessing he received wasn't even rightfully his to begin with. And we find even at his birth, he's hanging on to the foot of Esau and he's saying, I want to be first. And yet he beats him out. And so then we find that he covers himself in in the fur and, and tries to sound different. And his father who can't see in the moment is going, come close, you know, and he gives him the birthright and this blessing. And he manipulates his father into the blessing that he desperately wanted that was not rightfully his. And God is saying, are you still that Jacob? What is your name? Are you living up to the name that you've had so far? Are you living up to the name that that you have given yourself? Are you living out a life as Jacob or are you willing to change your name? See, sometimes we need to wrestle with God because there are things in us that he wants to deal with and to cut off and to change and to remove. And as, as men in the house and as women as well, we sometimes need to say, God, I'm needing to wrestle with you so you can then begin to speak and change who I am and the name that I have carried so far. We have to wrestle with God. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. Here's Jacob wanting this blessing and God's going, not until I conquer you, not until I break those things off of you. Something interesting that takes place in in this wrestling match that we have between God and Jacob is that at some point God goes, man, he is one determined little fella and he's not gonna quit. So what does God do? He just touches his hip, which is like, man, you just one-upped him without even trying. You're like, are you still gonna hang on? Ah, your hip's out of socket. Good luck with that, right? And he's like, ah, but he hangs on, right? He still hangs on and he doesn't let go. He doesn't just walk away. And and, uh, he said, when when he saw that the man could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, which means twisted, out of socket, out of place, right? So he just pops this thing out of socket as he wrestled with the man. But then at the end, what we find at the end of this uh, portion is that he says, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. He finds that he walks with this limp, right? He walks with a limp, so he wrestles with God. Here's what I have found in life and in, and in times of wrestling with God. When you spend time with God, it changes how you walk. It changes how you walk. I had this thought, and, and obviously we, I don't necessarily have the scripture to support this, but, but I had this thought of what if, I, what if Jacob finally, he's coming over the river now, and he's coming across to where his family is, where everything is set up, and they see him limping. And maybe from a distance, they didn't notice it. They go, oh, he's finally coming. What took you so long? You've been gone all night. What is going on? What happened? And he gets closer, and they start to see the limp, and they're like, what is wrong with you? What's different? What happened to you? Are you okay? I almost imagine that he's probably thinking, I have never been better in my life. Because here's what happens when we spend time in the presence of God. When we spend time wrestling with God, it changes our walk. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we do things. And people notice it. People see it. People, people are aware of what's happening. And he go, you go, I, I, you know, are you okay? You're not doing the same things you used to do. You're not hanging out with us doing the things we used to do. What is different about you? And you go, I was wrestling with God. And he asked me what my name was. He said, are you going to continue to live by that name? And then he touched my hip and my walk is different from now on. 
What are things in your life? What are, what are areas in your life where God is saying, we need to wrestle a little bit because I've got to shift some things. I've got to change some things. There needs to be a difference in your walk. See, Jacob wrestled with God and sometimes we have to be willing to wrestle with God. We have to be willing to wrestle with God. The second thing is this. We must be persistent. We must be persistent. Let's look back for just a moment in verse 24. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is an all night thing. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of his hip so that his hip was wrenched and said, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We've talked about this a little bit in our first series or in the first week of our series, just about the, the continual knocking, right? And going back and back and back. And then this is that moment where, where Jacob is saying, I am hanging on here until until I, I receive the blessing that I am fighting for, until I receive the blessing that is rightfully mine for the first time in my life. I have fought for this. I have fought for this blessing. Think about this. Jacob, who has spent his entire life living out off of the, off of the blessing of somebody else that he wrongfully took, is now in a moment where he has God in his grasp and he's saying, I'm not leaving until you bless me this time. I don't want someone else's blessing. I want the blessing you have for me in this moment. And I'm gonna hang on until I receive it. Until I receive it. Persistent. Persistent. He's saying, I've earned this. I want this. I remember being nine years old and I played baseball as a kid. And, and truth be told, I was decent. I was Okay. I wasn't the worst player on the team by any stretch of the imagination. And it may be, you know, better in my head than it was in all actuality, but I remember being okay. And I played third base in uh, the hot corner. That's right, because in your nine, it's coming fast, right? And so I remember playing third base, and we had a good team that year. We were the Garland Dodgers, because uh, everybody's named after a major league team when you're playing rec baseball. And I remember we, we won every game that season but one game. And I was the king of the infield home run. I was a decent hitter. I was a decent fielder, but I was way faster than all the other kids. So it was awesome. So thanks to a lot of overthrows and uncoordinated first basemen, I had like three or four infield home runs. Not even in the park, infield home runs. It was awesome. I was just eating up bases. It was great. Thanks to all the first basemen who couldn't catch. It was really good. But I remember being so excited at the end of the season, we had only lost one game. I think we were like 11 and one. In the one game we lost, we ended up beating that team later in the season. And, and they beat us by like two the first time. We beat them by two the next time. It was awesome. And in the end, we got second place. And they got first place. And I remember as a nine-year-old being horribly disappointed in the fact that that team that we had just beat, they were the last game of our season. We had just beat them, finishing out, and they got first place. 
I don't know what the, the reasoning was or why it came down to that. And I'm sure if I wanted desperately enough, I could go back through the records of Garland Recreational Baseball and pull up and figure out why was this decision made. But I remember as a nine-year-old who was ultra competitive for a nine-year-old thinking, why didn't we get first place? We beat them. Sure, they beat us, but we beat them in the end. At the end of the season, I'm thinking, this is almost like the championship game. The winner should have this. I remember thinking at nine years old, we have fought for two, three months in this baseball season and we have played so well. I was like, man, I I remember one game I was on fire and I got the game ball. It was awesome. I still have it. Like, true story. But (laughs) Lauren has seen it. It's like, this. hey, yeah. So, I mean, it was a big deal. And then to get the second place trophy, I had never been so disappointed in my life up to that point of going, I worked hard for this. Our team worked hard for this and we beat them and you're gonna give them first place? Jacob in this moment is going, no, I am working hard for this. I am not gonna let you give my blessing this time to somebody else. I know I took it from someone in the first place, but I am hanging on until I get the blessing that I came for until I hear the answer to the prayer that I am praying, until I see God move on my behalf, I am not letting go. There's some cool stuff here with the word wrestle. Now, we could go through all of the connections to the word wrestle and that it actually derives a little bit. So the, the, the Jabbok, which is where the, the part of the Jordan River they're crossing over, is a derivative of the word for wrestle, which is actually comes out of the word for Jacob. It's kind of crazy if you look at all of this and how it's all intertwined, and we're not gonna go into every bit of that. But I want to explain this word for just a moment. It's a really neat Hebrew word that is, is the word is abak, abak. And and you have to be careful because you'll get stuff on the people on the front row as you say it, because it is Hebrew. But the word means this. Yes, it translates to wrestle. That is an easy understanding of it, but it simply means to hold within your grasp, to not let go. So the word implies that there's no punches being thrown. Nobody's throwing roundhouse kicks. Chuck Norris isn't jumping in the mix. It's nothing like that. This is simply, they are wrestling. And and what we find is when you hear, when God says, he says, let me go, it's daybreak. And he's going, no, I'm not going to let you go. He said, I am holding tight to you. I am staying here as long as it takes to get the blessing. I think in our prayer lives too often, we give up too soon. We stop too quick. And we may pray once or twice and we move on. And as we read through scripture and as we study about prayer, one of the reoccurring themes that we find is the continual going back and going back. Persistent, persistent. God hears persistent prayers. And we talked about the, the, the woman who was just essentially annoying the king until the king responded to her, right? It's the same way in our prayer that God is saying, keep going back, keep going back, keep coming and praying, keep com- persistent, stay as long as you need to. One of the things that we used to say way back in the day, and I say we because I was like four when they would say this, but is the idea of we're going to tarry in the presence of God. We're gonna wait on the Lord. And we have lost that somewhere along the way. We have lost our ability to wait on the Lord and to say, I'm not leaving until God shows up. I'm not leaving until God speaks. I'm not leaving until he responds. I'm not leaving or letting go until I receive 
the blessing until I receive the blessing. We need to wrestle with God. We need to be persistent. I love that, that idea of I'm gonna hang out here, God, so you can change in me what needs to happen to change my name. I'm no longer Jacob, I'm now Israel. And I'm gonna wait, I'm not gonna let go until you give me that blessing. Until you give me that blessing. The third thing is this. We need to ask for the blessing for future generations. We need to ask for blessing for future generations. Verse 26, it said, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And he blessed them there. One of the cool things that that we find is in this moment, this is the birthplace of the Israelite people, right? Sure, they had, technically, yes, they had been born before. There's 11 of the 12 tribes. Essentially, the heads have been born. The sons, 11 of the 12 had been born at this point. But up to this moment, they were the sons of Jacob, and not the sons of Israel. And this is almost the start of the fulfillment of the promise made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. It's incredible. You go, man, God gave Abraham this incredible dream and this incredible vision of of having descendants as numerous as the stars or as as the sands on the beach, and yet he's not going to live to see the fulfillment of that. But through his grandson, we begin to see a furthering of that dream come to life. And God's saying, You are no longer just Jacob. You are now Israel, which means to wrestle with God, El being Elohim, being God, being him. And he's saying, you are now Israel. From here is the birth of my people. That's incredible. It's incredible. The the, the magnitude of the blessing that takes place in that moment is more than just significant for Jacob in becoming Israel. It's more than just a moment for his immediate family, but it is setting his family up on the trajectory that it is now all the way to this day, the nation of Israel and the people, the chosen people of God. And we have the Hebrews walking through all of this and out of this comes Moses and from David and through that comes Jesus Christ or the Messiah all because he hung on for the blessing. He hung on for the blessing. Through that moment, through that moment comes the lineage to lead to Jesus so that you and I can be here today, saved and redeemed, covered by the blood of Christ, clothed in his righteousness. So when I say that there is significance in prayer, When I say that there is significance in wrestling with God and being with God and spending time with God and saying, men, we need to be men of prayer. Dads, we need to be dads of prayer. Husbands, we need to be husbands of prayer. There is greater significance and impact for generations to come than there even is for us in this immediate moment. Now, I believe this wholeheartedly that I am living on the blessings of my grandfather and my father right now and that my children need me to pray so that they can live on that blessing so that it can carry forward, so that they can continue that forward in the next generation, in the next, in the next. Prayers are generational. 
prayers carry generational impact. And when we pray and we say, God, I, I need that blessing now, we don't know the full impact that it has moving forward. We don't understand the greatness of the prayers we pray now and the impact that they have moving forward. So the greatest thing I ever learned from my dad was if I'm going to be a successful father, if I'm going to be a successful dad, I have to be a man of prayer. We have to be men of prayer. We have to be men and women of prayer. We have to lead the way in prayer. The world needs us to be men and women of prayer. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.